0: Uh, Hello, everybody. It's good to see you guys. There's a lot of you I don't know because I go to the six o'clock service and I'm gone by the time you get here or you see me dragging three little monkeys and putting them in a minivan as I'm leaving. Um, But I'm happy to be able to speak to you guys tonight. And uh, Doug has been doing a series on First Timothy and he's been driving home this truth that belief and life are intertwined. What we believe affects the way that we live. Um, if we are just trying to change the way we live, follow a set of rules to earn our way to God, which doesn't work, we're um, legalistic. If we say that we believe in Christ, but our life shows zero evidence of that, then we're a hypocrite. But a true follower of Christ is one whose belief is reflected in the way that they're living. Okay? Not that we're sinless, because that's not possible, because we will all wrestle with sin until the day we die. But the point is that we do wrestle with it that we don't just accept it and we don't just are okay with it, that we wrestle with it and we walk in repentance when we fall and that we are progressively becoming more like Christ and less like ourselves. Um, did you ever hear of a guy named Brian Head Welsh? Anyone hear of him? Okay. Well, he is the, was the lead guitarist in a band called Korn. Um, Korn is known for their very dark, very sexual, very violent lyrics. Um, And brian head welsh says that he was picked on as a kid He didn't really have many friends and so he got into music and he got really really good at playing the guitar And as he was getting better and better he started to dream about one day becoming famous, which is exactly what happened Um, He says he had everything he ever dreamed of. He had fame. He had uh, Tons of money more than he knew what to do with he had women throwing themselves at him yet. This is the truth He was miserable He was depressed, he was suicidal, and he was addicted to drugs. He says that every time he got high, he was hoping that this would be the time that he would OD and he wouldn't be able to come back, that he would die. Um, His marriage fell apart. Um, He was abusive to his wife. After a concert, he punched her in the face. She left him alone with his daughter to raise their young child. Um, And he said he neglected his daughter. He he hardly paid any attention to her because he couldn't because he was high all the time. And one day, he heard his daughter walking around, and she was uh, humming and singing the lyrics to one of his songs called Adidas, which stands for All Day I Dream About Sex. And he was like, what am I doing with my life? It's a mess. And he actually had a realtor that he knew was a Christian. And so he wrote this Christian an email, just opening up, telling him what a mess his life was, basically just reaching out for someone to help him. And this realtor gave him a Bible and he invited him to church. And he actually went. And he went hung over from the night before and he went high and he sat in the back with his with his hood pulled over his head. And what he thought he saw was a little strange. He didn't quite understand everything that was going on. And he also saw that people had genuine joy, and he knew that he didn't. And so after a message, the pastor said, Does anybody here want to accept Christ? And so he raised his hand, not fully even understanding what that means. And he went home, and he got high again, but he prayed. And as he was getting high, he prayed, God, if you are real, please take all of this from me. Please change my life. And that's exactly what happened. And he says he turned his back on everything. He quit the band, which was on the verge of signing a huge deal. So he was giving up all this money. His closest friends were the guys in that band. So he turned his back on those guys. Yet. The cool thing is that some of them now have also come to the Lord. Um, He became this awesome father that was raising his daughter. He says now he lives to know Christ and to make Christ known. And he travels the world and he has a heart especially for kids in India. And he's um, started three orphanages there. Okay. His life drastically, radically changed by what he believed. Not to receive salvation, but because he had received salvation. He couldn't go back and live the same way. He couldn't have left that service. God has delivered him from drugs and all the things that he was into and go, okay, you know what? I'm just going to keep living this lifestyle. Now, no, he couldn't do that. Why? Because belief and life are intertwined. And so the question for us tonight is how far is belief and life intertwined? I mean, I think that, yeah, most of us would agree that the way that that guy was living, yeah, that those things need to change. But how far does it extend? Does it extend all the way to what we wear? Does it extend all the way to what we dress, how we dress? And that's the topic that we're headed in tonight. And we're going to be looking at eight verses in First Timothy chapter 2. But before we get to the three verses that deal with what I'm talking about, we're going to have to look at the five that follow it. Um, and we're going to flip-flop it, and you're going to understand why we're flip-flopping it as we start to read it. So let's turn to First Timothy 2 verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Okay. So at this point, do I just close the book and walk off the stage? Because I'm a woman, and I'm pretty sure that there's men in the room. And that one right there in the front row is definitely a man. Um, so according to these verses, should I even be up here doing what I'm doing tonight? Is it okay that I am speaking to you guys? Um, There is a lot of controversy that surrounds these verses. And I think that what we find is that churches do one of two things with these verses. Most churches, not all churches. And one is that they just ignore these verses. It's like they're just not even there. They just ignore them. And the other extreme is that a woman is never um, allowed to do anything within the church that involves speaking. I mean, she must literally be silent like another translation said. But the problem with both those extremes is they're both wrong. And we're going to look at why tonight, okay? So first, the first extreme that says um, they just ignore it. Usually take the position that it was cultural. That what Paul was saying was because these women were uneducated at the time, that they weren't um, in a position to be able to teach. And so you have to know the history behind this time and and these verses. And this is the way that it was. Um, Women were not thought much of during this time. They were considered second-class citizens. Um, They've literally had to walk behind their husbands. They couldn't even walk next to them. Um, They were not allowed to attend synagogue and they were never taught the scriptures. Okay. Um, Jesus was the one who radically changed the view of women. Okay. He gave worth and value to women by the way that he treated them, um, by the mention of them in the Gospels. He, women were now valuable and worth something. And so when the early church was being established, this radical idea happened. Wow, women can come to the church and learn about God for themselves. And so some take the view that that because of that, that it's cultural and that Paul was putting a temporary limitation on just the women of that day, because how could they teach if they didn't understand the scriptures? And I've said before, this makes sense. Like, this is a really good argument. But the problem with this argument is the next few verses, because Paul is going to graciously give us his reason for what he said, what he just said. So let's look at verse 13 for Adam was formed first and then Eve. Paul just made it clear it's not cultural, and it's not even Paul's idea. It's God's idea, and it goes all the way back to Genesis. It goes all the way back to the beginning, to the the creation of men and women. Um, If you were here for the redefined series, you remember we said that men have this divine calling to serve, to lead, and to protect their families. And women have a divine calling to affirm that leadership and to use her gifts that God has given her to help him carry them out these different yet equal roles follow the same pattern also within the church. And we're going to get to that more in a minute. But for now, we know that it was not cultural. And because it was not cultural, that we can't ignore these verses. They do have significance for us today. Okay, the other extreme. The other extreme says women are to be absolutely silent within the church. They can't do anything that involves talking. I mean, they can cook dinners for, you know, church dinners, or they can watch the kids in the nursery. Um, but that's it. And this extreme is Is way wrong. And the proof of this is the rest of the Bible. If you remember a few weeks ago, Doug said you cannot take a verse and just isolate that verse without understanding it within the context of the whole Bible. Well, in the whole Bible, this is what we have. Numerous examples of women prophesying within the church, teaching other women within the church, teaching children within the church. Um, We have a husband and wife that taught the gospel to a new believer who happens to be a male. Um, we have women in the role of deacon. We have a woman who was a judge in the Old Testament. So this idea that women to be silent is wrong because how are they going to do all those things if they don't open their mouth? That would be pretty difficult, right? It would be impossible. So this other view is also wrong. Okay, so what is Paul trying to say through these verses then? Let's look on and look at the next one. And Adam was not deceived, verse 14, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So is Paul's reasoning here now is because women are more easily deceived and sinful than men? We saw not too many verses before in 1 Timothy. Paul says that he himself is the chiefest of sinners, right? He wrote two-thirds in the New Testament. He planted churches. He taught. He preached. He himself said he was the chiefest of sinners. So it's not that sin disqualified a woman to lead. Paul must be saying something else here. Besides, we need to understand that these God-given roles that are different yet equal, they were designed and established before Adam and Eve sinned, before there was sin, not as a result of sin. Okay, so that's not what Paul is saying, but he is saying something through what he just said. And I'm going to try to make sense of all this now and bring us down to what this means for our church. There's a pastor named John Piper, and this is what he has to say about it. The main point is not that the man is undeceivable or that the woman is more deceivable. The main point is that when God's order of leadership is repudiated, which means refuse to accept, it brings damage and ruin. Men and women are both more vulnerable to error and sin when they forsake the order that God has intended. Okay, so God gave Adam and Eve specific roles, right? Eve went against that role in a manipulative and sinful way to lead her husband. Adam abandoned His role as a leader and followed her into sin. They were both sinners. They were both transgressors. The point is is when when God's design is out of order, this is what happens. Um, When a woman is dominant in marriage and a man lacks spiritual leadership, this brings dysfunction and this brings disorder to a family and the family suffers for it. The same is true within the church. God has designed for men and women within the church to have different and I can't stress this enough, yet equal roles that work together that make the church function in the healthiest possible way. Okay, so, what is Paul saying with these verses then? Um, the use of the words teach and have authority, okay, the way that they're, they're, they're um, the Greek root. And the, the, the tense that it's in, I can't get into all that now because this isn't the main point of the message tonight. Um, it speaks of an ongoing role or position. Not a one-time thing, not an occasional thing. It speaks of an ongoing position. And they describe perfectly the role of an elder. Now, in a few weeks, Doug is going to go into that role of an elder with us in more detail. But So we know that what Paul is saying, in essence, is I don't permit a woman to be an elder Um, not that she can never open up her mouth in church, not that she can't do what I'm doing tonight, but she can't hold the position of an elder. That is specifically just for men alone. Okay, well, what about that part about being quiet then? Like, we read that. Um, So what does that mean? Well, that doesn't speak of an actual silence. What that's speaking is of an attitude. And that's not just for the women in the church. That's for all in the church. And it speaks of having an attitude towards the leadership that is one that honors and respects the leadership. You know, not going against it, not speaking out against it, um, not going behind the scenes trying to cause trouble to, to manipulate or overturn the leadership, but respecting it. That's what Paul is talking about when he's talking about in quiet there. All okay, right, so let's break this down for us as a church. Um, we have all male elders at our church, according to that verse. The main leading and teaching of this church is done by the men. When you see me up here a few times a year, it's always under that authority. I don't hold an ongoing position of leadership over the men in this church. I teach from time to time when I'm asked by my husband. Um, if you're staying here tonight, that's not fair. Um, let's, we got to look at the Old Testament, okay? Um, in the Old Testament, in order to be a priest, you had to be born in a Levite family, uh, in fact, even if you were born in the Levite family, which you had any kind of physical disability, that disqualified you from being a priest, uh, not fair, maybe, but it's not our universe and our church. It's God's church. And this is how he designed it to be distinct yet equal roles. Okay. So now that we dealt with all of that, let's get into, go backwards and get into the verses that we brought up in the beginning of the night. How far is belief and life intertwined? Does it go all the way to how we dress? Let's look at verse 9. Now, Paul is going to be dealing with two issues here. The first issue is actually um, directed to the men. Okay. The second issue is directed to the women. First issue, likewise, also that women should adorn, I'm sorry, nope, reading the wrong verse, verse 8. I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Okay, so Paul right here is instructing Timothy. Timothy, have the men pray. Where? Everywhere. See, you have to understand that in this time, they only prayed in places that were considered holy, like the synagogue or in Jerusalem. But Paul is saying, no, have them pray everywhere. Everywhere. Okay, not just that they pray, but how should they pray in the way that you come to God? And there's two things here. The first one is with holy hands. Okay, now hands was symbolic of the condition of your heart. Dirty hands, symbol for dirty heart. Clean, holy hands, that was a symbol of a clean heart. So Paul is saying, come before God, men. When you come before God, come before God with with a heart that's right before God. Okay, so this is... Vertical come for not just with our heart that's well, but also with a heart that's right before others Not quarreling with others Specifically men not fighting but come before him right relationship with god right relationship with other then make your requests known to god in prayer Next verse verse nine likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty self-control Not braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire most commentators agree that the women of this time were enjoying their newfound freedom in christ which is a good thing only some of them were taking it grace as a license to sin and they started to wear their hair wear their jewelry wear their clothes in a way that was drawing attention to themselves and not just drawing attention to themselves but it was also the same way that the prostitutes and the worldly women of those days were Okay, so Paul's saying I want you to be different I want you to be set apart than the way that the other women are dressing and that's not what the women of this day were doing I think at this point Maybe part of the room some of the guys go. Okay. Now the rest of this message is for the girls So I don't really need to listen. Um, it's not about me It's about them, but that is not true This the message is as much for you guys as it is for the girls here for two reasons One, guys, this is going to give you a biblical picture of the kind of girl that you should pursue, okay? Number two, fathers in here and potential fathers. I said that you have a responsibility, a role to lead and protect. Well, this carries over to your daughters. And you have a huge impact to play on how your daughters dress. You have a huge impact to play on, on, on speaking into their lives and making them feel valuable and worth and not leaving the house in a way that you know would be harmful to them. This issue of modesty, um, it's not an issue of rules. You know, if you're not a Christian here tonight, we're not. If you dress this way, then you get to heaven. If you dress this way, then you will please God. It's not an issue of rules. It's not an issue of legalism. It's an issue of the heart. Because so much of what we do and and the way that we dress comes out of what's happening inside of us. It's a reflection of what's happening inside of us. Um, And for most of us, there's two voices that we hear. In being able to influence us. We have the world's perspective on how we should dress and how we should look. And then we have the gospel's perspective on how we should dress and how we should look. And those two things couldn't be more different than each other. In fact, they're the opposite of each other. And I wanted to point out some of the ways that they're the opposite. The world says you're valuable if you're attractive. The gospel says you are incredibly valuable And the proof of that is the extent to which Jesus went to reconcile you to God. The world says you'll be admired if you're beautiful and if you're sexually alluring, if. The gospel says beauty is fading, but the woman to be admired is the woman that fears the Lord. The world says if you want to capture a man's heart, and I think this is a huge one for us, show off your body. The gospel says a godly man will be drawn to your heart for Christ. The world says, if you've got it, flaunt it. The gospel says, save all you have for your husband's eyes alone. The world says, you're free to dress however you want. Just make sure you look just like those girls on the magazines that you see. The gospel says, you are free from having to compare yourself to those girls that you see on the magazines. The world says, draw attention to yourself by the way you dress. The gospel says, draw attention to God by the way that you dress. So we have to ask ourselves, are we dressing in a way that reflects the gospel? Or are we reflecting in a way that reflects the world? Have you ever thought about how the way you dress affects other people? Have you ever thought about the way that it it affects other girls that are around you? I think there's this thing that happens. It's a vicious cycle. And I think that we compare ourselves to each other. And so if we see somebody that looks really good in some, you know, not modest clothing, then we have to dress that way or somehow we don't compare to them and we're not as valuable and worth as them because that's what the world says. Have you ever asked yourself what effect you have on the guys that are around you? On the guys in this church and the ones that you hang out with by what you wear? I think that we fall into two categories here when it comes to this. Here's the truth. If you didn't know it, guys struggle with lust. They're very visual. What they see affects them. Here's the other truth. Most Christian guys are, with all their hearts, want to remain pure before God. With all their hearts want to be pure and faithful, even in their thoughts to their wives to their girlfriends and here's one more truth what you and i wear could either make that harder or we can really help them so i think that for some of us we know exactly what we wear how it affects other guys and that's why we wear it but i think more than that more of us just have no clue we just do not have any understanding of the struggle that men go to try to remain pure in their minds before God. For this message, I spent a lot of time talking to the guys in this church and their opinions on modesty. And I found not one guy who said, I really like the way that girls dress in modest. I really hope that they continue to do it. Now, every single one said it is my hope, it's my desire that the girls would dress in a way that showed that they respected themselves and respected the men around them. And I actually wanted you to hear from these guys and their thoughts on modesty. So I'm going to read um, to start out five things that, that five different guys in our church wrote. Now, these are guys who are very involved in our church, who love this church, who love the, the girls in this church in, in a right way. And so let's hear what they have to say about it. And I asked them, just so you know, I asked them to be really honest, and that's why they remain anonymous. There have been occasions, unfortunately more frequently than I would like, where Christian girls, even in this church, dress themselves in a way that I would certainly deem inappropriate. And if they were my sisters and I was a good brother, I would never let them leave the house like that. The low-cut tops, shorter skirts, and so on draws the the wrong kind of attention to yourself from the wrong kind of people, It creates scenarios in which it is far too easy for men of the church to have their eyes wander without them even realizing they're doing it at first. And then they have to just avoid that girl for the rest of the night if they're a wise man. It also dishonors the beauty that God has given you. There's a tremendous difference between dressing in a way that celebrates your beauty and flaunting it inappropriately. It dishonors guard largely because of how many of the young women in church both dress and act. And now, just draw attention to that and act. I thought that that was an amazing point, is that modesty goes way past even what we wear, but it goes in the way that we act. It goes in that flirtatious way. It goes in that careful what we say to them way. I find it very difficult to hang out with groups of people from this church. One example being when I went to a beach party with a lot of the people from the church and I spent the whole time staring at my feet, the sand, and the ocean because, I had, because if I looked anywhere else, I was going to be seeing sections of skin that I have no business seeing except for on my wife once I'm married to her. It was very disheartening. I had hoped that the women from this church with such solid biblical instruction would have had the conviction to keep themselves more covered up than that. Next one. Well, first off, guys are very visual. When girls dress provocatively, the chances of a guy giving them extra attention is increased because it usually is motivated by one thing, hormones, which if we have a conscience, we will later feel bad about. Thus, we lead on the girl, and her decision to dress like that would ultimately lead to her heart being broken. I want to stop here for a minute. How many times have you, as a girl, had a guy that was interested in you had nothing to do with you? Had nothing to do with your heart, had nothing to do with your mind, it had only to do with what you looked at, how heartbreaking he said. I've been there. That was me before my husband. I've gone through relationships like that. This guy's saying, Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't dress in a way that's gonna cause those kinds of guys to be interested in you, because it doesn't lead to anything good. When girls show up, when girls show even a little bit, we see it. Believe me, we see it, and it makes us stumble. Bad. I know you girls want attention, but like Andy Stanley said in his latest message on dating, when girls fish with their bodies, they get guys who only care about their bodies and not them. Number three, there are few few that make a sister in Christ appear better to her brothers than proper maturity. The men in this church mostly feel as though they are at the point in their lives where they're done talking to girls, in quotes. This is the reason why it is important to dress modestly, the tight or revealing clothes should be in most cases associated with a younger girl who probably doesn't know better or otherwise is going through a rebellious phase. If this is you, regardless of your current age, I want to encourage you that there are more positive ways to interact with people. Godly women tend to be able to engage a man by having a personal and spiritual discussion with them. Stop there for a second in the middle of this testimony. One of Some of my greatest times with my husband is having conversations about the Bible, is having conversations about God. If you are drawing attention to your, uh, a guy draws attention to you only because of how you look and you can't have those discussions with him, the relationship is meaningless and it's empty. Flirting and dressing to impress should probably not be part of what you do anymore. Believe it or not, I know a lot of guys, including myself, who cannot but help connect connect what someone is wearing with how they're doing in their walk with Christ. He ends by saying just being honest. Next one, I also feel that the way Christian women should dress should set them apart from the secular world. There's nothing wrong with covering up what God gave you, so only the man of God that the Lord has set apart for them is the only one who sees their body. Even a little bit of skin, skin is enough to set men off into a tangent of lustful thoughts. Stop there for a second. I think this is one of the things that we just don't realize. To so that group of women who just, they just are we're ignorant to the fact that even just a little bit of skin is enough to make our brothers struggle. Even as Andy Stanley said, we are not to view women as a commodity. Does anybody in this room as a woman want to be viewed as a commodity? I don't By dressing on par with the world, they're sending the message that they do want to be viewed that way. Last one for now. I wish the girls would realize how much power they have with the way they dress. I could assume that most Christian guys would rather a girl who dresses modestly and who respected herself in that way. I wish that girls would realize it is both disrespectful to themselves and to the men that surround them because of the power it has and the consistent battle it creates in a man's mind. So is this a safe place? For the guys, are we creating an environment that the guys are coming and feeling comfortable, where they're not having to constantly walk around with their eyes down, or or make sure they're staring at your eyes because everything else would be wrong for them to look at? You know, they are bombarded by the world with sexual images. You cannot walk into Toys R Us without seeing a picture of some 16-year-old who's on the Disney Channel who's dressed inappropriately. Let alone the TV, the movies, everything they see. Let's make this the one place that they can go to that they can just relax and be comfortable and not have to be constantly fighting these battles because, girls, these guys want to do the right thing. They want to be pure before God. We don't have a bunch of jerks and slobs in this place who want us to come in dressing inappropriately so they can go off on a tangent with their lustful thoughts. I've talked to guy after guy after guy, and they all said the same thing after the same thing after the same thing. I want them to dress modestly. Um, I have a friend on Facebook that recently posted something along the lines. And he posted about the struggle that guys have. And he's a married guy. And he also, this is what he said, I just want to thank the godly women I know that dress in a way that's modest. Um, And he got a lot of comments on that. And um, there was one woman who said she was a Christian, and and sure maybe, but she was mad at what he had to say. Uh, Now, remember, he did not say come down hard on the girls who don't dress want. He's like, he didn't say you idiots for dressing. You no, know, he said, thank you to the ones that do. And this is what she said. She said the comments like this. If you don't want to look, turn around, turn your head around. And this is the thing that struck me the most because there was more comments than this. She said, it's not my problem. It's your problem. Besides being incredibly selfish, that comment, it's also incredibly unbiblical and goes against scripture. Because in the New Testament, what we find over and over again is prefer your brother above yourself. Love each other. Build each other up. We can't be doing that if that's the attitude that we have. If we say it's your problem, it's not my problem. I'm going to dress however I want. And it doesn't matter if it makes you stumble. Now, I am not saying... And catch this, please don't miss this. I am not saying that a girl dressed modestly gives in a guy an excuse to either treat her however he wants, think however he wants, or act however he wants. No, he still needs to resist temptation. So I'm not letting the guys off easy on that tonight. But what I'm saying is that we have the ability to either help that or to make that a harder struggle. Maybe you're still not convinced, and so let's try to make this where you can really understand this. Um, A lot of guys struggle with loss. We've established that, but a lot of girls struggle with insecurity. A lot of girls struggle with the way that they look, okay? Um, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of girls are dressing in modesty, because we're trying to find worth um, in the attention that we get when we do dress that way. But let's just say that the guys in this church were constantly putting you down, okay? They were coming to you, and they were saying things that was constantly um, hurting you. And you went to them, and you said, um, you know, what you're saying is really hurting me. What, what you're saying is just it's having an effect on me. And they said, you, no, no, see, that's your problem. You're the one that struggles with insecurity, not me. If you didn't struggle with insecurity, what I say wouldn't hurt you. See, that's what we do. That's what we say when when we show up in really revealing clothes. We send a message, and the message is, I don't care if this causes you to stumble. I'm going to dress how I want. It's your problem, not mine. And like I said, not only is it selfish, but it is completely unscriptural and against every biblical verse about preferring each other and loving each other in christ so if we've been changed by the gospel if there's something that god has done in us where we are no longer the person that we once were then that will affect the way we dress and then the other side of it is if we love our brothers rightly like we're called to like we're like like scripture tells us to then it'll affect the way we dress Now, does this mean that we dress like this? I have a picture for you guys. It's okay to laugh. No. See, now this is where you cross that line over to legalism. Um, I don't think that we all need to show up like this next week because Paul is not saying, girls, make yourself unattractive. He's saying... (laughs) I, I didn't mean that they're unattractive. <laughs> Take the picture off. <laughs> I'm not saying they're lovely, but, um, but Paul is not saying go to all lengths to make yourself unattractive. But what he's saying is make yourself an attractive in a way that points to God, the point that there's something different about you, that points to you don't need to show all that you have to get attention and to find worth from the people in this world. That's what Paul is saying. I have um, one more guy for you tonight to hear from. Why would you want a guy to fall in love with you? Because of the curves of your body or for who you are? It's a question a single woman must ask before she gets dressed every day. Unfortunately, if you choose the first, your outer beauty will fade, and so will the reason he fell in love with you. It's easy for a guy to pretend he's in love with a girl who visually stimulates him, when in reality it's nothing more than lust disguised as love. But eventually the lust will fade and he'll find another woman who will also shortly satisfy his lust. However, if he falls in love with you for who you are, that is a love that will endure. I love this part. Your body is a treasure. There is no such thing as a treasure that is easy to find or easily exposed. Treasure is always hidden. You must endure a journey with many hard obstacles and circumstances to one day receive the treasure. With that being known, why would you reveal your treasure to anyone besides the person who has endured the journey? Girls, you are valuable, and you have tremendous worth. And you don't have to show your body in order to receive that worth. And like this last guy said, your body is a treasure. And it's intended to be enjoyed by your husband. See, if I was always walking around in clothes that were um, revealing and inappropriate, I would be robbing Doug of something that is his. You know, when when I made my vows, I said I'm forsaking all others. And that's just not a physical act. That goes all the way into trying to um, s- seduce somebody with what, what I'm wearing. But by a woman dressing modestly, you are choosing to set your husband apart from all other people, all other guys. And in doing that, you are honoring him. And, and that's what I want to do. I want to honor my husband because I'm crazy about him. But, girls, do you want to honor your husbands and your future husbands? then be intentional about keeping your treasure concealed except for him alone. Um, It's summer, almost, and it's hot. And this is the really hardest time of the year to do this and to be modest. But because it's summer, doesn't mean, okay, now I don't have to be for three months and then I'll get back to that in September. It continues throughout the summer. And that's hard work because you can't go to a store and just find modest clothes. And so you need to to go um, with the mindset, with questions. You need to get dressed with the questions. And and they go like this. Um, Do I have any cleavage? If I do, maybe I need to put another shirt underneath this. Is it see-through? Does my stomach show? Um, You know, is it too short? Is it too tight? Think about wearing this outfit before the Lord because he's with us all the time. You know, again, this is not about rules. You you will not earn your way to heaven by dressing the way those girls did. You won't earn your way to heaven by, by making sure that all of you is covered. You, listen to me, you won't even earn your way to heaven if now until day you get married that you don't have any kind of impurity. You don't sleep with your boyfriend you don't do anything like that doesn't earn your way to heaven but it comes out of what has been done for us because we have been radically saved by a savior that loves us and says that you are so valuable and you are so worth it that i'm going to suffer unbelievable amounts so that you can be reconciled unto me so that you can be with me forever so we're valuable and we're worth something so the point of this message tonight is to protect that treasure and to protect that value until that means looking different than the rest of the world. And that means being intentional about how we dress. And this goes all the way to even the pictures that we post of ourselves on Facebook. If the guys have to go through your Facebook photos like this because they can't, only can look at your face and can't look at the rest of you, then you know that that's a picture you need to take off and it shouldn't be up there. Just as you would not want the person you're dating or your husband to be looking at another girl, you don't want them looking at you either because they're not yours. And that is meant to be for you and your husband alone. There's one more verse that we need to deal with tonight before we close, and I'm gonna close with this. Verse ten says, But what but what? Okay, so he's saying, Don't dress this way, but he says, But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Okay, so what does this mean? Paul is saying, um, don't dress this way, but good works. What does good works have to do with not dressing immodestly? Um, I love the message translation. I don't always agree with everything in the message translation, but they do word some things really well for us to be able to understand it. And I think that this is one of those times. And so I want to read you the translation that is in the message. And this is what it says. Doing something beautiful for God... And becoming beautiful, doing it. That's what Paul's saying by good works. That's what godly men are drawn to: doing something beautiful for God, and becoming beautiful doing it. Let's pray, guys. Well God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord God, for your grace and that extent that you have gone to save us, Lord God for all that you suffer, Jesus, so that we can be in right relationship. And I pray that you just continue to work in our hearts, changing us from the person that we used to be to becoming more and more like Christ. And I thank you, Lord God, for your grace that when we struggle with sin, Lord God, when we struggle with with finding our worth in attention and finding our worth in what other people's opinions are, Lord God, that, that you come alongside of us and you gently love on us back into the truth. And I pray that each person in this room will know how valuable they are and the worth that they have, no matter what anyone has told them, no matter what the world has told them, no matter what family members or old boyfriends have told them, that they are incredibly valuable and precious and loved by you. And we praise you, Lord God, for loving, undeserving people like us. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I talked about the gospel a lot. And maybe you're not even sure what the gospel means. What exactly does that mean? Well, it means this, that we all have sinned, that we all have fallen short, and we've offended a holy God. And God didn't just say, okay, you know, you guys are all, that's it. He sent his son to come and and he lived a perfect life so that he could be our substitute. And what does that mean? It means he came and he died as us and for us so that we can be in right relationship with him. So that now he got what we deserve so we can get what he deserves, which is a close relationship with a loving God. Who just wants to love all over you and let you know how valuable you are to Him? And it's important to know if you're not a Christian that a prayer does not save you. Okay, a Savior saves you. But what a praying, what a prayer does is it opens up a conversation between you and God, and it, and you can come to Him with something like this: God, I'm a sinner, and I and I acknowledge that, and I repent of my sin, and I need You. I need a Savior. And so I ask you to come into my life and to change me and to bring something beautiful out of my life like only you can do. It's been great being able to speak to you guys tonight, and I hope that you see my heart in it is not to condemn anybody in this room, but it's to appeal that from today on that we would be really intentional about the way that we dress. I love you guys.